Hey, Derek, guess what? Hit me with it. We just got a promotion with Audible. Audible, fantastic. I love Audible. Do you know what the cool thing about this deal is? What's that? If our listeners go to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod, they get a free trial with Audible. And do you know what they get with that? What do they get with that? Tell me. They, they get one free audiobook of their choice, and they get two free Audible originals, which is special content that Audible makes available free for all its uh, subscribers. Are you kidding me? That deal is so good, I may go myself and sign up. Do you think you, they let you keep the books after you're done? No, you're not, you're not going to tell me they let you keep the books after you're done. Yes. In fact, you can go sign up for a trial, and you can cancel before the trial ends, and you get to keep the books you've already downloaded. Well, I don't see how you can beat that with a stick. I, exactly, yeah. And you can lots of great books, especially for fans of this show. You can listen to uh, Super Gods by Grant Morrison, which is all about like how the superhero uh, comics have changed and evolved over time. Or you can check out Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. Which is a terrific book. I have that both in hardcover and I listen to that on Audible myself in my car while traveling back and forth. And there's also another similar book that's called Slugfest, which is about like the, the wars between Marvel and DC Comics. Oh, okay. So that's another one you got to check out too. So yeah, head on over to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod and start your free trial right now. You got one free audiobook and two free Audible originals and you can keep them even if you cancel before it's over. Nerds, geeks, sweaties. Look how far we've come. We rule the world. But it wasn't always this way. Let's go back to a time when there was no comic book cinematic universe. When you had to wait three years to get a superhero movie. Back to a time when Batman used a credit card. This is a film about a superhero movie that didn't get made. In 1998, a movie called Superman Lives was in production. It was going to be directed by Tim Burton and star Nicolas Cage as Superman. I've been fascinated with this since I first heard about it. From the concept design, to the various scripts, to the people involved, this would have been the most craziest cosmic Superman movie ever made. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I am half your host, Perry Constantine. And I'm the other half, Derek Ferguson, coming at you live or semi-live from Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) Live on tape, as they say on uh, Stephen Colbert's show. (laughs) (laughs) How How you doing? doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I was about to ask you the same thing. Um, you know, it's it's getting chilly out here, and I'm I'm fighting off a bit of a cold, but uh, you can probably hear my voice a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit stuffed up right now. But hopefully, we're nearing the end of it. Um, just hit me like two days ago. Hmm, okay, well, but otherwise, I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing all right. As I was saying, telling you earlier, we we're getting hit with a snowstorm here now mm. in Brooklyn. Um, so uh, they're calling it a nor'easter. That's what they're calling it. Uh, Any way you look at it, it's snow coming down, and I got to shovel that shit later on. So. God, yeah. <laughs> That's the bottom line. But other than that, I'm doing fine. I'm just, you know, hanging out, staying in the house. Matter of fact, we're doing the documentary today. I have been on kind of like a documentary kick. I watched like three or four documentaries in the last two, three days. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. I, I must be something in the in the air because I've, I've been uh, kind of on a documentary kick myself, too. I was watching a bunch of different stuff over the past few weeks. Yeah, I watched uh, a documentary about Pauline Kael. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the uh, who was like the most influential movie critic of the tw- the last half of the 20th century. And okay. uh, uh, what else did I watch? Watch something about doomsday preppers. People oh, okay. who get ready for doomsday and stuff like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just I don't know. It's just like you know, I started <clears throat> watching one documentary and it just led me to another one and another one and another one. Yeah, I go I go through those periods too where I just start like binging on a bunch of like one type of show or something. Um, yeah, I do it a lot with podcasts too. Like I'll just get interested in the topic and I'll look like like lots of different podcasts that are around that topic. Um, but lately, we started. Um, it was like two days ago. We started watching uh, Breaking Bad because my wife's never seen it, and we're just really? looking through Netflix. And I saw it on there. I'm like, oh well, let's see what she thinks of it. So we put on the first. She's addicted. Like we're we're like almost we're like at the end of the second season last night, and I was getting tired. I was falling asleep. I'm like, I'm gonna go to bed. She's like, you mind if I stay up and watch some more? I'm like, go ahead. I've seen it like twice already. So yeah, so, so yeah, she stayed up. I don't know how much she watched after I went to bed, but um, <laughs> she's still asleep now. So that might be an indication. It's funny that you mentioned that because um, we started watching this other show with Brian Cranston called Your mm-hmm. Honor. They just okay. started a Showtime, and he plays a judge whose son accidentally. Uh, runs over like a mafia guy or something like that. So now he's trying to like cover up the crime so his son doesn't go to jail. Mm-hmm. And Patricia's watching it. She said, "Oh, you know, how come he only plays the, these parts where he's, you know, an unlikable guy?" And I said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "He was in a comedy for years, Malcolm in the Middle." You know, yeah, she, yeah. You know, but she'd never seen that. She only knows him from uh, uh, Seinfeld because he was on Seinfeld. Oh, really? Yeah, he was. Well, he wasn't like a regular character, but he was a recurring character. Oh, okay. He played a dentist, Tim Watley. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember him now. Yeah. The whole yeah. anti-dentite storyline. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, the, right. He was the dentist that switched to Judaism, and Jerry was convinced he only did that so he could tell Jewish jokes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember so, that now. So, yeah, so now Patricia watched this. So now she's interested now in seeing Breaking Bad. And I tried to get her to watch it years ago. She said, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that. But now she wants to see it. So Yeah. yeah. Serendipity there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Interesting. (laughs) So we're both on uh, documentary kicks. Our wives are on Breaking Bad kicks. (laughs) How do you feel about documentaries in general? Um, You know, it it depends on the subject matter, really. Um, Hmm. For a long time, I really didn't have any interest. Right. I'm just like, if I want to watch a a movie, I want to watch something that, um, you know, I want to watch a story. But but over the past, I don't know, maybe it's like in the past, like maybe 10, 15 years, I started getting more inter- interested in them. Um, but mostly it, it depends on the subject matter. Like if it's something that I'm curious about, then I'll watch it. I'm, it's very unlikely to, for, for me to watch a documentary about something that I've got no prior interest in, though. Right, right. Yeah, it's same thing with me. Like I really, I could like, as far as documentaries go, I could take them or leave them. Mm-hmm. But then, like, once I started watching uh, Turner Classic movies, really, mm. and they would have, like, you know, like, these all-night marathons or certain documentaries on certain subjects. Right. And then I started watching them. I said, oh, wow, you know, some of these are really, you know, pretty good. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I kind of got hooked on uh, document, And it's a nice way, I find, to cleanse the palate, too, mm-hmm. the movie-watcher palate. You know, yeah. watch something different. I think for me, it it's it's really with the streaming services because now they're they're all there. It's readily accessible. So I think that's when I started getting more interested in them because before it's like, I'm not really interested in going to a movie theater to see a documentary. Like if I want to, if yeah. I'm going to go to a movie theater, I want to see something, you know, that's got action in it, that's got spectacle. You know, I want something that's worth, you know, my 10 bucks. 
Yeah, that's a, that. Yeah, that's an excellent point because I could never see myself like paying to go see a documentary. Mm-hmm. But I, mean, like, I went to see uh, Fahrenheit 9/11. I saw that in the theater. But, okay, but that was you know that was kind of a special case because that was a huge movie that was coming out at the time. But most documentaries, like you're not going to get get me to pay money to go see it in the theater. Yeah. And like you said, you know, with the streaming services, like I watched that one on Netflix, the one that everybody's talking about now, the one about the internet, was that the uh, Social oh, Dilemma? Social Dilemma, yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but I want to. Oh, that that's out. excellent. Yeah. yeah. Watch that. That's really good. I also got to finish finish watching the um, uh, Fear City, the the New York and the Mafia one. Oh, you watching that? That's good. I, right? I've got, yeah, I'm like three episodes in so far. I got to get back into that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell everybody, you know. <laughs> And I've been telling everybody that, okay, go back and watch that if you want to. That's like the origin story of Donald Trump mm-hmm. and Rudy Giuliani. You yeah, know? yeah. That's like the origin story. You And I said that to people because I always tell people, listen, they were always crazy and racist. They just yeah. didn't start it. And if you watch that, you look at that, you say, okay, now I understand why. <laughs> the way. And there's, there's another documentary. I can't. Think of the name right now, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to find it and send it to you. But it's a documentary about Roy Cohen. Oh, I, I no, I know. I didn't, I didn't, maybe not that one, but he was uh, heavily featured in um, the the Trump family documentary right. that Netflix right. did. Yeah, because you hear Donald Trump all the time. He was talking about, where's my Roy Cohen? Where's my mm-hmm. Roy Cohen? Yeah. Well, if you watch this documentary that I'm talking about, you'll understand a lot why Donald Trump is the way he is, because that was like his mentor. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I watched that and I said, oh, shit. OK, it gave me a new insight into why he acts. Yeah, I know. He- a, I know a little bit about Roy Cohen. Now, you want to talk about crooked motherfuckers. That's a guy oh, who pretty so. much defined crooked motherfucker. Yeah. And I watched and I watched um, the movie version of the play Angels in America. Mm-hmm. In which he's a character played by Al Pacino. Plays oh, okay. And I said, oh, yeah, well, you know, they must have exaggerated this. I mean, you know, for the movie. No, you go back and you do your research into Roy Cohen. You realize, no, they didn't exaggerate a damn thing. Mm-hmm. He, that's who he was. <laughs> you know, there's this really good podcast I've been listening to. Just brief digression. It's called Behind the Bastards, and it goes into like all these like little stories about like these really terrible people throughout history. Like, you know, for example, like Hitler was, you know, had a terrible case of flatulence, <laughs> and that, and that's one of the reasons why he be, he became a vegetarian was because he was farting all the damn time. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's it's just like all these really weird stories you find out about um uh just like all these really interesting stories about uh these really terrible people about like how how Stalin was, you know, it was insane. And they kind of depict this a little bit if you saw the death of Stalin. Um mm-hmm. but he'd take his his men out, like his inner circle, and they'd start drinking at like five o'clock in the morning, and they'd be just like going nonstop. And he was this, he had this weird obsession with practical jokes, like with people sitting on tomatoes and shit like that. And, really? and then at like two in the morning, like all, his, and he, it'd be like constantly like, you know, try to drink each other, try to out drink Stalin. Right. Cause if you had to keep up with him and then, and it's like by two in the morning, you know, his guys, they're all like about ready to die. And he's like, let's watch a cowboy movie. <laughs> and, he, and it was just like, and all, all of this stuff. And you see this in uh, the opening scenes. Have you seen Death of Stalin? No, I have. Oh, it's really good. Um, but in the opening scenes, you see this whole whole thing play out. And I had just finished listening to the Behind the Bastards episode on Stalin before I saw this, and it's all true. Like this is shit that actually happened. You think yeah, it's something that's yeah. made up for this movie, but no, it actually happened. Yeah, stuff that you you know you swear. Oh, yeah, okay, well that can't be true. You know, yeah, <coughs> you find out it did actually happen. Yeah, 
It did actually happen. Oh, uh, one more documentary I could recommend, and then I guess we'll get down to mm-hmm. actually doing some work. Oh, uh, uh, what was that? The Last Wolf, which is a documentary about the writer called Edward Wagner. Oh, okay. You know, the fantasy writer, science fiction writer, horror writer. No, I'd never heard of him before. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's on Vimeo. Okay. If you're interested, yeah. But I watched that. When did I watch that? I watched that yesterday. Because mm-hmm. uh, Carl Edward Wagner, he wrote a whole mess of books about uh, a uh, swordsman called Cain, who was like, mm-hmm. he's immortal and he wanders the earth. And he's, he, he's kind of like an anti-hero. He makes... Elric looked positively cheerful. <laughs> that's how, you know. So uh, that's another documentary I can recommend if anybody is interested. So, yeah, that's all I've been doing like the last three or four days. Yeah, you started me off with, of course, with <laughs> the movie we're talking about today. <laughs> oh, uh, so before we get into that, though, there's been a bunch of news that dropped this past week. Really? Um, oh, no- yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, you know, Marvel Studios made a a bunch of announcements. Oh yeah, yeah. I they, mean, um, well, first off, drop, drop, talk about dropping the bomb on me. <laughs> my God, they just uh, they dropped the fat man and the little boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Mo, they had uh, first off, they started they started off the week with um, dropping all these trailers for the Disney Plus series. So they had uh, a new trailer for WandaVision. They had a full trailer for Falcon and Winter Soldier. They had a full trailer for for Loki. Um, yeah, yeah, trailer yeah. for for what if, and it's just so. I mean, I that's a good place to start is those trailers. So, what did you think? I saw the I, Loki. Well, of course, when I saw that he's in the hands of the Time Variance Agency mm-hmm. from the Fantastic, I lost my mind. I said, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you know, which of course would be natural since he apparently is messing with time because mm-hmm. he's got the Tesseract from yeah. the past. So he's not exactly the Loki that we know from. Because the, the Loki that we know died in, uh, in what was uh, that? Infinity, Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, he died. But Loki's still around. So I'm, re- and it looked like they got Loki. Turns out to be DB Cooper at one point. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> so Loki looks like it's going to be nothing but fun. I'm, I don't know if I'm looking forward to. Okay, first I, w- the one I was looking forward to the most was, of course, WandaVision. Mm-hmm. But now I don't know if I'm looking forward more to. The Falcon, Winter Soldier, or Loki? So for when these were first announced, Falcon and Winter Soldier was the one I was most looking forward to. And then they released the the trailers for WandaVision. I'm like, oh, now I think I'm really looking forward to this. Because WandaVision was the one I was kind of like least interested in. But, you know, seeing all the things they're doing and um, and it uh, looks like they got um, Monica Rambeau's in it. Uh, they had, uh, you know... Um, Darcy, we see her back in the trailer, back from the Thor movies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just like everything we've heard about it, it looks like a total, oh, Jimmy Woo, uh, played by Randall Park. He's going to be back in it too. And it just looks like a total mind trip. And it looks like it's going to be so amazing. Um, and, and, and what else they got coming? Uh, they have Corcott coming. They got She-Hulk. Yeah. We'll we'll talk. I got some news about that too, but, um, but also then the, then we see Falcon and Winter Soldier, and now I'm much I'm really hyped again for that because um, we see uh, I like seeing the you got this kind of banter between um, I'm glad they kept that relationship between um, uh, Sam and Bucky where they got this kind of like antagonistic friendship type thing. It's very much to me is going to be the Falcon and Winter Soldier 
they're going to be like uh, the MCU's. Ver- uh, that's like the lethal weapon. I was going to say the exact same thing. That's that was the vibe. Like, I was, yeah. That was very much the vibe I was getting from it. A lethal weapon vibe. Yeah, I was. I was thinking the exact same thing, and I was watching it. And that I'm all in for that. Um, and uh, you know, they got Batroc coming back. They got um, uh, apparently they're going to involve the Flag Smasher in it too. All I, all I have to say is that they're making they're going to make it very hard for me to leave my house. Mm-hmm. And and then on top of that, of course, I'm in the Star Wars. They announced all that Star Wars stuff. I haven't really looked, dug into those yet, but I saw a few uh, key takeaways from that. Like, oh uh, my god, I said, well, you know what? <coughs> I forget about it. I'm just not leaving the house. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> really, seriously. Yeah. There's no and- reason for me to leave, ever leave my house now. Also, in the Loki trailer, there are a few little things that I noticed that kind of stood out to me. I mean, one. There's this one scene where it shows, did it look like Black Widows appeared in that trailer? It looked to me like she was sitting on that planet. That's what I was thinking, yeah. I, that To me, that looked a lot like the Black Widow. Yeah. And then also, he calls out to Thor and Heimdall in that one scene, too. So there's rumors that maybe Idris Elba will be coming back. Yeah. I, well, you know what? He's got the Tesseract now. Mm-hmm. So he can bounce around time and space as he wishes. So who's to say that he's not going around and, you know, and I don't know how the time various authority is going to play into it, but, you know, I'm Headed pretty up by, sure. Headed uh, by I'm, Owen Wilson, too. Yeah, Owen Wilson, who, you know Mobius what? and Mobius, that's who he's playing. Yeah, Mobius and Mobius, yeah. That's the guy who's like the supreme bureaucrat right. of that agency. Um, you know, I did not know that was him until I read it online somewhere. I, oh, said, really? I, know, I said, I know that guy. I said, but I can't think of who it is. And I said, his voice was driving me crazy because mm-hmm. I said, I know that voice. But it was the spiky blonde hair. Yeah, yeah. Like I've the gray hair. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's got like a fuller face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's got, oh. They gave him some facial. This is like, I think this is the first time I've ever seen him with facial hair at all. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't look like himself at all. Um, so, yeah, got, so. Sorry, so I'm just hoping that since this involves time in some way, mm-hmm. that maybe this will be a way for them to bring the Black Widow back. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. we'll see how it all works. Or maybe she'll they'll just have like a cameo or, or something like that. It, but it seemed like the, it seemed like a weird thing to put in the trailer if it's not going to be Black Widow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird thing to me. And like you said, with Idris Elba coming back and everything, I'm really kind of hoping mm-hmm. That maybe uh, Loki will be trying to bring Asgard back <coughs> as well. That would be interesting. That yeah. might factor into it. That you know he finds out that he really does miss <laughs> the Asgard as much as he claims he couldn't stand them. That he misses them and mm-hmm. he's trying to bring them back. But you know what? I am content to wait and see what happens. Marvel hasn't let me down yet, mm-hmm. so I'm sure that whatever they got it planned in mind, it's going to work out. And did you see the trailer for the the What If animated series? Oh my God, that looks great. I'm, I'm, I loved What If. Like that was like it was just such a it was just such a fun book back in the day. It was that. Well, it was what I loved. To, it was totally batshit insane. Mm-hmm. You know what if? What if no idea was too wild or crazy? Yeah. If you wanted to do, if you imagined it, yeah, okay, put it in What If. Just mm-hmm. throw it in there. You know. That was one of those books that I'm really disappointed that they've never really brought back in a big way. Like they've come back and they've done a few limited runs of it, but but you know, back in the day, I was I I keep eyeing Comicsology because I'm waiting for those complete What If collections to come down in price. And What If had a really long run too. Yeah, it went through like three volumes or something like that. Yeah, and, yeah. and it, it, I think it was finally canceled in the 
late 90s, early 2000s when it was yeah. finally canceled. Um, yeah, it ran for a long time. It ran for a long time. And they've had a few – they've touched back on it a few times. Like they've done like a few what-if specials since then. And it was the type of book that – I okay, I didn't buy it on a regular basis, but if I walked by it and said, you know, and I saw on the cover, what if – Daredevil was Spider-Man. And I said, mm-hmm. holy shit, I got to read that. And I, would pick, <laughs> you know, and I would pick it just based on whatever the premise of that. Yeah, yeah. I remember there was one I saw that was just completely ridiculous. It was like, what if the Punisher became Captain America? I'm like, what? I got to see that. Yeah, yeah. And of course, <laughs> it had the Watcher, too, who is one mm-hmm. of my favorite Marvel characters. I love the Watcher. So since he was out there, you know, spinning all these stories, I said, okay, cool, you know. Marvel will find a place for somebody and anybody to star in, you know. And the MCU is a great way to do that. Like they've got, um, so it looks like the first episode is going to be what if, um, um, oh, what's her name? Haley Atwell's character, uh, Peggy Carter. Oh, Peggy became, Carter, yeah. What if she became, she got the super soldier serum. That's what, yeah, little, yeah. She becomes like Captain Britain or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then they're also going to have one like with um, what if T'Challa ended up becoming Star-Lord. I'm really hoping that they get her. I, I I would hope that they got her back to do the voice. Oh, they did. Yeah, I think oh, I'm pretty sure it's Haley Owl and Chris Evans both did the voices for that one. Because one of the greatest sins in recent memory is that Agent Carter got canceled. That's yes. a show that should still be running today. Oh hell yeah, yeah. That was one of the best things they ever did, Agent Carter. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so um, what if I, I'm all here for that? And there's just. You know, we've got, you know, over 10 years now of MCU movies. There's so much material you can explore with that just oh, within the MCU. Yeah. And I mean, it's animated. I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's not dependent on anybody's schedule. Or right. They don't have to fly anybody. You know, if they can just take somebody and stick them in a booth to record their voice and everything like that. Bam, they can do it. Yeah. So yeah. it can run indefinitely. <clears throat> so um, some other stuff we got coming out here is uh, there are three new TV series coming. Um, we got Secret Invasion, we got Ironheart, and we got Armor Wars. Now, yeah, Secret I, in- yeah. now Secret Invasion is um, a really interesting one because you know in the comics that was this big crossover event, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. It's obviously you're not going to be able to do that. It's going to be very different, and it looks like it's more based on what we saw at the end of Spider-Man: Far From Home, where you've got Nick Fury working with uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character from Captain Marvel, the Scroll character. Yeah, that's what it looks. It looks like uh, this is the one. Uh, okay, I think that this is probably the Nick Fury series this that is, we've yeah. been promising that they that they've been promising us for a while. Yeah, because I see, you know, first image I saw associated with this was Sam Jackson and Nick Fury, and I said, "Oh, yeah. okay. Well, if he's in it, well, I'm down." Yeah. yeah, that's what. And this seems like such a a better idea for that concept. For Secret Invasion, you know, Scrolls secretly infiltrating the government and all that. Having Nick Fury being the one to go after, that's such a better concept for it than what they did in the comics, where it was just a big crossover event. Yeah, yeah, it was just, yeah, just a bunch of spandex. Right, them. yeah. And yeah, uh, this, so, yeah, this actually has a plot behind mm-hmm. it as a Secret Invasion. Okay, this is it, it's the Scrolls. Yeah. And so I, I'm I'm loving that idea, and you know Sam Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn being in there that that's going to be a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Also, Armor Wars. So this uh-huh. is a this is the perfect follow up to Tony dying because Tony Stark's dead now, and so it, it, it's it's open season on all his Iron Man technology, and so you've got Don Cheadle starring in this one. Mm-hmm. 
And <clears throat> which leads to some people speculating that maybe he'll end up becoming Iron Man at the end of it. I don't know how, I mean, I think that's mostly just speculation. I think he'll probably keep him War Machine. But yeah, I think, I, I, yeah, I think he's going to stay War Machine. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't, I can see them having a new Iron Man, but uh, I don't think that Don Cheadle is going to be it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, our armor wars, you know, great classic 1987 store, Iron Man story. Um, and that's apparently going to lead into, uh, Ironheart, which is, um, the young character, um, who, uh, they're going to just saw her name. Oh, Dominique Thorne. That's, um, she's going to be playing Riri Williams who, okay. um, she creates her own Iron Man suit. This is uh, off of the comic books. Uh, Brian Bendis created this character. So it's like a, you know, a female uh, Iron Man, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that's going to be another series they're launching on there. That looks like a lot of fun. So that's, um, those are the new TV shows. And they also said that um, with She-Hulk, um, they're going to get uh, Tim Roth and Mark Ruffalo are both going to be appearing in it. Yeah, from what I, the little bit I read about it, that apparently is going to be heavily influenced by uh, when John Byrne was on it. Oh, okay. Treated it like a sitcom. Mm -hmm. And she hoped, you know, she broke the fourth wall and she would talk to, you know. So that's pretty much how they're going to handle it. Which, uh, yeah, <laughs> if you want to set it apart from all the other MCU mm -hmm. series, that's a good way to go. Do it like a little bit more, you know, with a little bit more comedy. And stuff like that, you know, doing like a lawyer show, but mm -hmm. you know, the lawyer, she's seven foot tall, green, and super strong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great that's a great one. And I'm glad we're gonna be see Tim Roth coming back as the abomination. Yeah, yeah, because he just got captured at the end of you know the incredible Hulk. He didn't die. So yeah, yeah so he's so now this is a good way for us to catch on or, or catch up on what's been going on with him since the end of that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we also got um, so Christian Bale's officially going to be in Thor: Love and Thunder. He's me playing uh, Gore the God Butcher, which is from uh, Jason Aaron's run on the character. Um, okay. They all they're also bringing back Sif. Yeah, Jamie Alexander's coming back to play Sif, which kind of which kind of surprised me because I had heard rumors uh, back when Disney Plus first started up, but I guess like the plans didn't work out for whatever that they were considering giving Sif her own series. Mm. <clears throat> I think that may like still said, be in the works. Huh? There may be. I, I read something. There may be. There's. There may still be some talks about something like that happening. Yeah. Because she's. She may also appear in Loki as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen. As long as Sif shows up somewhere, anywhere, I don't care. As long as she shows up. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad she's gonna be coming back in. Yeah. Um, big news too. You know, we're finally in at uh, Marvel's finally announced they're gonna be doing a Fantastic Four film directed by uh, John Watts, who did the the MCU Spider-Man films. Third time's a charm. Third time's the <laughs> well, fourth time technically. Well, fourth time, yeah. Wow, <laughs> fourth time's a charm, yeah. Although actually, I'm kind of in the minority that I I didn't care too much for the first one. But I, I kind of like Rise of the Silver Surfer. I'm yeah. Sorry. A lot of people hated that one. I kind of like that one. I, I, matter of fact, I liked it better than the first one. I've, yeah. I've, I've only seen the first one like maybe two or three times. Mm -hmm. But the second one, I watched that like four. And if it comes on now, I say, oh, shit, Rise of the Silver Surfer. And, you know, I watch it. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, as long as they get John Krasinski, 
to play Mr. Fantastic, I'm down. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that's the that's the fan casting everyone's hoping for. John Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic. Um, and Emily Blunt is Sue Storm. And you know what? I, I You know, I like John Krasinski, but I didn't really see him at it until I saw, like, one of these, uh, you know, fan things that they did where he's mm-hmm. in costume, the Fantastic Four uniform. Yeah. And, you know, with the white temples. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, okay, now I can see it. Yeah, especially the bearded read. Like he the did. bearded one, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I said, okay, now I can see it. Yeah. And um they're also getting um uh Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh it's got a title, the the sec the third movie in the Ant-Man series, Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantumania, it's called. Yeah, which <clears throat> will be introducing Kane the Conqueror. Kane the Conqueror, played by Jonathan Majors. Uh we got a new actress playing Cassie Lang. Now it's uh Catherine Newton, who was just in the uh Freaky, the the horror slash comedy movie that just came out with Vince Vaughn. Okay. That was from the director of um, happy death day, which was, which is really good. Oh man. I love, I love that movie. I, I, um, who, who does that? Me and Tom DJ went to see that. Oh happy yeah. Happy Death Day too. We went yeah, to we happy saw death that. Day yeah. Too. We saw that happy death day to you. Yeah. We saw that yeah. one too. It was happy death day and happy death day to you. I was honestly surprised how much I enjoyed those movies. Those Same movies here. were a hell of a lot of fun. <clears throat> they got a comic book connection, too. You know who wrote the Happy Death Day? Who? Scott Lobdell. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was surprised. Okay. I was, we're watching it, and at the end, you know, it says written by oh, – oh, Scott Lobdell wrote that. Yeah, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed them movies. They were – you know, it was totally different from any slasher movie – that I thought. And then when they mm-hmm. brought in that science fiction element in the second one, it was totally unexpected. But you know what? They made that shit work, though. Yeah. I was hooked. Yeah. They made I was, it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was really good. I, folks, if you haven't seen it, once you finish listening to us, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> go find, <laughs> I may be on Amazon Prime. Go, but go watch Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and, uh, you know, we talked before about, you know, you're, you were a fan of Disney Afternoon as well. Yeah. So they're, they're doing um, uh, a new version of Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Ah, Chippendale. <laughs> it's going to be a, it's going to be a hybrid live action slash animated feature um, with uh, John Mulaney playing Chip and Andy Samberg as Dale. Oh, okay. All right. And I mean, um, I'm not... I wouldn't say I'm rabid fans of theirs, but I, hey, it's Chippendale Rescue Ranger, so I'm going with it. Um, looks like a Green Hornet movie. They've got they're they're doing a reboot, and they got uh, David Coep, who wrote the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies, and also um, Jurassic Park. <clears throat> and I hope that they pull this one off, if for no other reason, that I can stop hearing the whining about the Seth Rogen. Oh, you know that that's never going to stop. Oh my God! The movie. That movie. How long ago did they make that movie? I don't even know. It's, yeah, and you know what? You have people going on and on about it. Like you know, the movie tried to shank their grandmother in the shower. Yeah, you know, I mean, please. You know, yeah, I'm. You know, life's too short. Yeah, I'm really tired of people just whining about that. I mean, it and it, you know it's. And, you know, a lot of it gets thrown at uh, Seth Rogen. So I know people who are like, oh, whenever Seth Rogen's get, name gets mentioned, like, oh, no, Seth Rogen, he he ruined um, Green Hornet. I'm like, well, he didn't write the damn thing. He was just acting in it. Yeah. I mean, uh, and listen, I, listen, I admit it. 
when they started singing Gangs of Paradise, when they was in the black <laughs> I laughed. I'm sorry, I did. Because <laughs> it was unexpected, I laughed. Could it have been a better movie? Yes, oh, it could yeah. have been a better movie. But, you know, I don't think that they deliberately set out to shit on the legacy <coughs> of Green Hornet. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they do that. But again, I will say that I do feel sorry for the fans of the Green Hornet because everybody deserves to see their favorite hero depicted the way mm-hmm. they want to on screen. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, you know. Maybe this time they'll get it right. The Green Hornet is actually one of those characters that I think that would work better if they put it back on TV. Oh, I think so, too. The other TV, I mean, we've talked about this before, which is why I think a lot of these MCU characters work better on the small screen that mm-hmm. not every character has to have a $200 million summer blockbuster movie. Exactly. Yeah. Some of them work better, you know, on the small screen, you know, eight to 10, 12 episodes, you know, mm-hmm. okay, like The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian works much better as a TV show than it ever would as a movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've had some people say, oh, they should have just did a movie. No, 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 no. It wouldn't have worked as a movie. Yeah, it has to be done as a TV show. I agree. Yeah, it There's wouldn't no, have worked as a movie. Yeah. The, you got the the Avengers, you know, the Justice League, they work as like these big spectacle blockbuster movies. But a lot of these other superheroes, I mean, you, you got to remember, they originated in serial storytelling formats. Like, you know, a perfect example is is Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man works much better in a serial format than he does on a big screen. Yeah. Daredevil, Daredevil as well. Yeah. I mean, I I mean the Netflix show proved that brilliantly. Yeah. Daredevil did not click until they did it as a TV show. Mm-hmm. And um, the X-Men. I think the X-Men would work much better on TV. Like you do like, you know, 12 episode seasons on Disney plus or something like that. I think that would work much better because then you could get into all the, the soap opera dynamics. And that's really what made those Spider-Man and X-Men, the soap opera dynamics are really what made them so appealing. Yeah. I mean, Stanley was brilliant in that when he wrote Marvel comic books. Okay. When he wrote those characters back in the day, all he did was just take the elements from daytime soap operas and and applied them to writing comic book characters. That's what he did. Because if you look mm-hmm. at those early Spider-Man things, where it was the love triangle between him and Gwen Stacy and Betty Brant and everything, well, that's pure soap opera. Oh, yeah. That's all yeah. that is. And, and him worrying if Aunt May is going to pass away, is going to die. And that, that was all taken from, it was like Stanley watched All My Children and Days mm-hmm. of Our Lives and said, okay, now let me go write Spider-Man and Daredevil. Right, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and the X-Men was the exact same thing. Right. They did yeah. the exact. It was all about soap opera stuff and like, you know, who who's hooking up with who and, you know, all these like, you know, different power dynamics, all these different stuff. And it's hard to pull that off in a in a movie franchise. Right. Because if you OK, if you're putting all of this money into it, you know, you got to go with the spectacle because yeah. you're saying, well, that's what the people are paying to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what you put in. But unfortunately, something has to suffer. And. Many times, as we're going to see, even with the movie we're talking about now, the story and characterization is the first thing to go. Yeah, yeah. If they got a, if they got a choice between story, characterization, and spectacle, spectacle wins out every time. Um, now, speaking of Stan Lee, there's uh, apparently there's a screenplay floating around out there um, about a biopic about Stan Lee and Jack Kirby in the early days of Marvel called Excelsior. Oh, okay. And um, and it was voted on the blacklist. It was like it was like one of the top twenty screenplays of the year voted on by the blacklist. Like, you know, whether this leads to something or not, who knows? But I think 
you know, this would be the perfect time to do like a, a Marvel biopic about the founders of Marvel. I, I think so too. I don't know. There was a book a few years back uh, about, you know, uh, Marvel, the founder. Yeah, told story, right? Yeah, yeah, Marvel Untold Story. That would be great. Disney Plus really ought to do that as a miniseries. I would love to see that, you know, like as an eight part series where they, you know, talk about, you know, the early days of Marvel. And because mm-hmm. apparently, uh, you know, uh, who was it that was writing uh, Doctor Strange? He actually was getting high on LSD. And Is that uh, Steve Ditko? Steve, did, yeah, Steve Ditko. Yeah, well, I mean, you you look at those you look at those things he drew back then. You you can understand why. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, and you know all of the dynamics that's gone. And what I liked about the book that it was actually the people that was there that was telling the story. Mm-hmm. One thing that really ticks me off is when I read things online, like in these comic book groups, and everything like that, and people are talking about what went on between Stanley and Jack Kirby as if they were in the room. Yeah. Yeah. When it ha- you know, that shit really pisses me off. You know, you weren't there. How do you know what? what well, uh, I heard this and this was said. Well, you heard. Yeah, exactly. You, heard, you don't yeah. know. And it, <clears throat> and it was a different age when they talk about, oh, yeah, well, Stanley ripped them off and he robbed them. And he did this and he did that. and He did the other. First of all, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. It's not like Stan said, you know what, I'm going to deliberately. Uh, take credit for everything these guys do mm-hmm. and screw them out of money. Yeah. This is how business was done back then. Whether you like it or not, you know, really, it doesn't really matter because that's how things were done. Yeah. You know, yeah. there was no such thing as, you know, uh, 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 what what am I thinking of? The creator owned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was no such thing as that back then. <clears throat> you created a character for Marvel or DC. Well, then Marvel or DC owned it. End of story. Yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just kind of the way things were done, which is you know terrible, but it is just the way things were done back then. And see, this is what I try to explain to people, and they say, "Well, that's no excuse. That's the way." I'm not saying it was an excuse. Just explain exactly. Yeah, what I'm saying is that you have to look at it in the context of the time in which it happened. That's just the way things were done. Thankfully, it's not the way things are done now. Thank God we've evolved and it's changed. Mm. But you want to look at what happened. 50, 60 years ago through the prism of how you see things today. Mm-hmm. And that's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, end of <laughs> whatever that was. I don't so know. Uh, one final bit of news, apparently um, Zack Snyder has said that uh, he expects his oh, justice league God. cut to get an R rating, which includes um, uh, Batman dropping the F bomb, which I just kind of like, why? That's the thing. I just don't understand why. The most juvenile thing that I can think of <clears throat> is that you would think that I, as an adult fan of superheroes and comic books, would be more excited to see this movie just to hear Batman drop the F bomb. Mm-hmm. You see, you're insulting my intelligence now. Yeah. If you think that that's going to make me wet my shorts and get me all, oh, now I really got to see this movie. No, no, no. To me, that's insulting. It is, yeah. And it, I it just, is. and I saw some people on, of course, you know, Snyder fanboys like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. I'm like, why? It's why. I, well, okay. Now, finally, folks, I know you, you've been waiting a while. Even in the documentary, John Peters says that. He wanted to have uh, Michael Keaton in the Batman movie say, I'm Batman motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Because he says, oh, because I know that would have got the kids. Mm-hmm. 
The kids would have loved that. Oh, really? That's the only reason why you wanted to put it in there. Yeah. Okay. I see. Say no more. Okay. Yeah. I got see right there. That tells me where your mentality is at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a, that's a perfect transition because now we can talk about um, this movie, which is our first documentary pick. And that is um, the death of Superman lives. What happened? And this was directed by uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name. Um, well, I'll let you mess it up. Yeah, let me bring it up. So he don't come. John well, Yeah, well, you're in Japan, so he can't come looking for you. <laughs> actually, I think he passed away, actually. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. He passed away fairly recently. Uh, I retract my thought. No, my I mean, you know, yeah, it was, uh, it was 2018. He passed away. And it was oh, okay. just, you know, this came out in uh, 2015. So just a few years after this came out. Um, oh, okay. Sorry to hear that because judging by this, the guy was really good at, oh, as yeah. a documentary. Yeah, no, the, this is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen because simply because, okay, for two reasons. It's a lot of information that we get. Mm-hmm. And I like documentaries where they interview people who were actually there and yeah. was doing the thing so that they could tell us themselves, okay, mm-hmm. this is what happened. Yeah. You know, and then, okay. Let me make up my mind because we do see that at one point, like John Peters and Kevin Smith apparently remember some things differently. Mm-hmm. But I like being able to hear what he's got to say and what he's got to say and let me make up my own mind. About they did a really good. I love that where they they cross cut between both of those different versions because yeah, Kevin Smith's been talking about this for years. He's uh, you know he's been going on the road and we talked like you know look up on YouTube, uh, Kevin Smith, Superman lives or Kevin Smith, John Peters, whatever, or an evening with Kevin Smith. Like it's, and it, it's hysterical. It's yeah. Like, he does. He, yeah, he, I mean, he got a whole stand up routine mm-hmm. and it's like 20, 30 minutes he does in that movie. <laughs> and he's just talking about that. And like I said before, I mentioned before, this is like on the level of Richard Pryor mm-hmm. type of humor where he's talking about, cause it's hilarious the way he, he recounts it. And some of it he gets in here. And like you said, I like how they cut back and forth. Like they'll say with John Peters. Well, I don't remember saying that. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, he never says flat out. He didn't say it. He just, <laughs> Says, well, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> and then they cut to Kevin Smith and say, Oh, yeah, he said that. <laughs> He's got the hands going, Oh, yeah, he said that. <laughs> so, as a matter of, fact, matter of fact, I would go so far to say is that once Kevin Smith, you know, leaves this movie, because, you know, he's pretty, he figures pretty heavily in the first half where they talk mm-hmm. about the script and everything like that. But once they get out of that, the movie does lose a little bit of energy in it because it does, he, yeah. we don't have him, you know, <laughs> put his shit in there. Yeah, the best part of the movie is definitely the parts, the first part when they're talking about the pre-production stage and up and and um and after that it becomes interesting. It's not as fun, but it's interesting after yes, that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, so for those of you who don't know, like uh Superman Lives was Warner Brothers' attempt in the 90s, mid-90s, to reboot the Superman franchise or, like, reinvigorate it. It wasn't going to be necessarily a straight-up reboot. It was going to be more kind of like – it was going to be kind of like a half-reboot. I guess it – kind of like Incredible Hulk did, I think. A a reimagining. Yeah. It was kind of like what the Incredible Hulk ended up doing, where it wasn't like a retelling of the origin story, but it just kind of, like, picked up again. And it was, like, kind of half-reboot, half – Half uh, reboot, half sequel. Right, yeah. You know, it's kind of like fuzzy exactly what it was exactly supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm saying, you know, 
looking at everything that Tim Burton had planned for it and everything like that, I think they should have just went with just full-blown reboot because, mm-hmm. you know, this thing, <clears throat> just from, you know, all of the pre-production work that they did and the drawings and the concepts that they had, this was a whole new way of looking at Superman in yeah. the world. Yeah. So, and, um, and so the, the story starts, it's basically um, Kevin Smith was brought in to talk to Warner Brothers about it. And <laughs> they're off because his, his script was going around for chasing Amy at the time. And so they brought him in to do like rework work. He'd done some work on um, uh, Goodwill Hunting as well. He done some writing work on that as well. Mm-hmm. So he got invited in to have a talk with them and they were talking about a few different projects and they mentioned Superman. And he's like, oh, I'd love to do Superman. And they said, okay, well, you know, you got to, you know, give us a treatment and then um, go talk to uh, to John Peters. They give him the treatment and they like the treatment. He goes to meet John Peters. And <laughs> John Peters had, had said that, you know, you and me, we get Superman because we're from the streets. <laughs> John Peters is funny. John Peters is a funny guy. You know, I tell you, I like... <laughs> John Peters is a funny guy. And you know what I love about John Peters? And I do. I love because you know what? I don't get the feeling there's a malicious bone in this guy's body. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that he just doesn't get Superman. Yeah. That's all it is. He's like, and the people that they got to work on this project seem to have been divided between the people that knew Superman inside and out and the people that had no fucking idea what Superman was. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really weird. You had these people that say, okay, well, yeah, this is Superman. He's from Krypton. (coughs) And you had these other people say, I don't get it. Just by the fact that John Peter says, I don't get why he has a fly. Yeah. Yeah. Really? That's like the most basic thing about Superman. Well, why does he fly? Mm Hmm. Well, he he just flies, dude. You know, why does Aquaman breathe water? We don't worry about shit like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, and he says it with a straight face. Yeah. You know, and I don't want him to wear the costume. What do you mean you don't want him to wear the costume? How do we know he's <laughs> Superman? It, 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 it gets more bizarre the more you hear him talk. But there's also a sincerity in what he's saying. And there's one thing that he says that I kind of like, which makes me says, okay, well, this guy really didn't mean to fuck up Superman. He just didn't get it. When he says, yeah, well, people talk and they say that I'm very energetic and I'm very passionate. And mm-hmm. like that. He said, well, you know what? A lot of times that's the only way to get a lot of people working on the movie to do what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. and get the money for the movie. And when he said that, I said, oh, okay. Now I understand why he's the way he is. <clears throat> well, you know, you watch him on screen when he's talking about like, when they told him that the, they were going to shut down production and just like how pissed off he got about it. And it's like, you, he really believed in this project. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, he was really sincere and thinking like, this was the way you have to do Superman. And it's, I, I don't understand why he thought that's the only way you had to do Superman, but you can see that he really believed it. Yeah. And you know, as a creative person, this was his creative vision of Superman, mm-hmm. which is just as valid as yours or mine. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, strictly from a creative standpoint, we may not have liked it. And like we were saying, you know, uh, okay, this movie would have been a train wreck, Mm -hmm. but I would have paid money to see this train wreck. I really would have. After watching this documentary, I kept thinking, like, this is the perfect way to sum it. Like, this would have been the best, worst movie of all time. I think so, too. 
Mm-hmm. I think so too. Because when you know what, and when you look at Cage when he's doing, you know, like the costume fitting and everything mm-hmm. like that, and they put and there's a good picture of him <clears throat> in the suit, and you look at him and you say, you know, something he might have he might have pulled this shit off. Well, you know, it's interesting yeah. that they chose Nicholas Cage because. Cage is this interesting mix of those two extremes you mentioned, where you said you got the people who who like the comic books and you got the people who who want to do something completely different. Cage is like this weird mix of the two, right? Because yeah. where he really, I mean, he does understand the comic books. He's a comic book fan. He named his son Kal-El for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. So he understands the comics. He knows the comics inside and out. But then he's also got this desire to really twist it and change it and do something new with it. So it's it's this weird melding of those two, and I think would have been really interesting to see. Yeah, like I like the uh, they have a part where <clears throat> excuse me, he's trying to get a handle on Clark Kent, mm-hmm. and he's got the Mickey Mouse t shirt, and he's got the baggy jacket, and the you know, and you know, and I'm looking at him, and it's interesting because we hear him talk in the background. He's talking to Tim Burton about how he's putting Clark Kent together. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, okay, well, you know something? He's thinking about this. He's not mm-hmm. just doing it just to, because <clears throat> I can always tell when Nick Cage is being lazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he's being lazy, he does Elvis, mm-hmm. you know. But he's not doing Elvis when he's trying to get a handle on Clark Kent and his personality and his character and how he, you know, sees the world. And how I said, okay, there's an actor at work here honestly trying to put together a character yeah that he feels he can portray with honesty on the screen and i have to respect that mm-hmm. i do much as i may think he was miscast or whatever he wasn't how fast in this thing he was no, taking yeah. it seriously yeah tim burton as well like i was really surprised at how invested tim burton was in this yeah and, yeah i mean and it it is really interesting when you hear him talk about how you know i had always done these movies because everybody expected like you know when you're going to get Tim Burton Superman, you're going to get um, like, you know, a dark Gothic version of Superman. And then you hear him talking about it. He's like, no, I didn't want to do that. I did want to do something that was, you know, bright and more in the light. And you look, think about what he did after this. Like he ended up doing big fish and stuff like that. And you're like, well, you know what, after seeing big fish and like Charlie and the chocolate factory and all these other movies that were, you know, these not really dark as far, as far as visually, but very bright type of movies. It mm. would have been interesting to see like what he would have done, th- took that kind of approach with Superman. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's different because it's Tim Burton. <clears throat> but let's face it, it, you know, you don't hire Tim Burton to work on any movie unless you want Tim Burton. It's, yeah. It, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's not like, uh, it's not like hiring. Okay. And I don't mean to disparage the guy, just use him as, as an example for, it's not like if you hire Brett Ratner. Mm-hmm. Brett Ratner, you're hiring to make a movie, and you tell him how to make a movie. He'll do it just the way you want it done. Right. No problem, no issue. It'll, it'll no be problem. on schedule and under budget. Under, yeah, no problem. No you know, no backstage gossip, no fighting with the actors, anything like that. It's going to get done. But you hire Tim Burton, you're hiring the whole package. Mm-hmm. You're hiring a vision. That's what... That presumably that's what you're hiring for. You yeah. don't hire Tim Burton and then tell him, okay, well, you can't make this movie, you know. And uh, they had some other interesting casting choices. Like one of the things that I thought was really interesting when they were talking about um, Christopher Walken as Brainiac. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. That, I think that would have been an amazing choice, especially because they were also thinking about Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor and having the two of them interacting which on goes, screen. Yeah, which goes to show you how far back 
you know, <clears throat> people have been thinking about Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. Yeah, yeah. And he eventually ended up playing him in Superman Returns, but they were talking about it, you know, back in 95 when this movie was in production. And how cool would it have been? Because I think that if they had gotten her to play Lois Lane, she would have blown every other Lois Lane that we know out of the water, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock, yes. That would have been an amazing choice as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, that, that much as I love Margot Kidder, I feel Sandra Bullock would have made me forget her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially you look at her in um, the movie that really stands out in my memory when I think about her as Lois Lane is A Time to Kill. Yeah. Like okay. her, her and A Time to Kill, like that's basically Lois Lane. That's Lois Lane, exactly. Yeah. Yep. You're right. You nailed it. Yeah. And and yeah, seeing her as Lois, that would have been amazing. That would have been really good to see. Um, and also, this would have been the first time we saw a superhero crossover because they were going to have uh, Kevin Smith wrote Batman into the script. Yeah. And um, yeah, he talks about the scene during uh, the funeral of Superman mm-hmm. where Batman apparently takes over all of the TV screens in, uh, you know, Metropolis to yeah. deliver, you know, <clears throat> some kind of sermon, a message of hope to the citizens of Metropolis. Although, I don't know, Batman's kind of like the last person in the world you might, <laughs> you know, but hey, I mean, see, if I was writing it, it would have been Wonder Woman. But hey, you know, I didn't write it. That, so, but I would, but hearing Kevin Smith talk about the whole process that he went through of writing it and everything like that is something that I feel that everybody who dreams of writing a screenplay in Hollywood, they should watch, they should really watch Mm -hmm. Kevin Smith talk about it. Cause when he talks about when (laughs) he says he gets a phone call, they tell him, well, you know, you got to go the next day and you got to, you know, read the screenplay for John. And he says, Oh, you mean give it to him? He said, no, no, no. You got to read it to him. He doesn't read screenplays. He said, what the fuck? He said, you shouldn't be. He said, should I tuck him in? Too? Yeah. It's hilarious. And he goes in, he goes to John Peter's house and John Peter lays down mm-hmm. and he reads the screenplay to him. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is why I found that so interesting. Cause again, we get an insight into John Peter's. Never once in this documentary did I, and I watched it twice mm-hmm. to make sure I know what I'm talking about. I never heard him refer at any point to story or characterization. It was all about the visuals with him. It was, yeah. yeah. That's all he, that's all he knows is <clears throat> visual. Because he, and you know what? I admire the man for, he says, oh, I don't read. Mm-hmm. He said, no, I don't read screenplays. He Because he's not interested in anything except the visuals. Yeah. That's it. And he's, because, um, Kevin Smith says he was reading at one point uh, going to the Fortress of Solitude and the first thing is, okay, well, we got to have a fight. And that's mm-hmm. the thing with him. Okay, well, we got to have a fight here. We got to have a fight here. We got to nothing about story, nothing about characterization. It's all about, well, we got to have a fight or we got to have, a, you know, like a big visual. I want the skull ship. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. I just want to skull. Yeah. And, and I said, okay, that's the way his mind works. Well, you know, it, it, it all ties back to like his three big rules that he had for Kevin Smith, right? He said, like, Superman can't fly, you know, he can't wear the costume, and he has to fight a giant spider in the third act. <laughs> and, you know, you know, here's when I knew, watching this documentary, here's when I knew John Peters was full of shit, because he said, oh, that, it wasn't, it was a Thanagarian snare beast. And I'm like, that's a Thanagarian, that's a thing from the comic books. Yeah. Only a comic book fan would have thought to name it a Thanagarian snare beast. 
Right. John exactly. Peters did not come up with that. That was Kevin no, Smith. <laughs> no, right. That was Kevin Smith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith came up with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, when he said that, oh, it was a Thanagarian snare piece. I wasn't talking about a spider. No, you were talking about a spider. Kevin Smith. You were talking about that. <laughs> and what cracks me up is that when he's <laughs> talking about the spider and, he, and Kevin Smith says, well, why a giant spider? He says, well, don't you know that uh, spiders are the most dangerous predators on the planet. The same thing he says about the polar bears later on when he wants polar bears to fight Brainiac at the Fortress of Solitude. And Kevin Smith says, well, why would why would Superman have polar bears guarded the Fortress well, of Solitude? Because at first he's like, he's like, he's like, well, you know, Brainiac goes to the Fortress. He's looking for some, shouldn't he have like some guards there? He's like, well, it, it, it's super bad. He doesn't really need guards. <laughs> and then when uh, and Kevin Smith says like, and then I went to, you know, Lorenzo and I told him about it. He's like, why would Superman have guards? <laughs> yeah, even that, right. Even that goose. It's the Fortress of Solitude. It's, it's called that for a reason. <laughs> but he has the polar bears and he attributes the same things to the polar Oh, well, the polar bears are the most dangerous predators. <laughs> on I said, oh, man, please, John, just, just say you got to think about Because <laughs> at one point they've been talking about uh, some of the pre-production work and Spider-Man, oh, Spider-Man, Superman is in the subways for some mm-hmm. reason. And he's fighting, fighting uh, a Tuesday, giant spider. Yeah. He's fighting giant spiders in, you know, the subways. Mm-hmm. Under, for some reason, <laughs> don't ask me why. And it's... The dude just got to think about spiders. <laughs> it's funny when he, and then he ends up making Wild Wild West, where Kenneth Branagh ends up getting a giant spider body. <laughs> and Bill, and Bill's a giant spider. Mm-hmm, yeah. So yeah. And so um, it's found, I don't know why he just doesn't go do Spider Man. <laughs> we know it's it's also really weird that he's. And he, you're talking about the the visual thing and like the writing process. Like he's calling up Smith with all these weird ideas. Right. He's like, he's like, oh, so, um, you know, you know, the Star Wars movies are out now. He's like, we need Chewie in the movies. Like, you want me just write Chewbacca into the Superman movies? Like, no, we got to give, you know, give Brainiac like a little a sidekick, a little a, a little pet dog or something, an alien pet dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like and then um, and when he saw Chasing Amy, he's like, you know what? I really liked um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, the guy who played um, the, the black guy in Chasing Amy. Um. <clears throat> Go ahead. It'll come to me. Dwight. I think it was Dwight Ewell or something like that. I can't remember. Exactly. Something like that. Yeah. But, yeah. but anyway, you know, um, uh, he says it's like, and he, you know, he's gay black guy. He's like, I want that guy's voice in the movie. And he's like, and he's like, so what? And he's like, you want, he's like, yeah, give, give Brainiac a robot sidekick and use that guy's voice. Like you want Brainiac sidekick to be a gay, <laughs> to have the voice of a gay <laughs> black man. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just like all of the, you know, John Peter's mind just seems to just seems to latch on to things from pop culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he doesn't really understand why they work. All they know is that they work and he wants them to work in his movie, even if it doesn't necessarily fit the tone of his movie. Yeah. That's the closest way that I can uh, you know, one of the things that they did say in there, you know, that they had mentioned that I kind of like they were going to have a robot that is kind of like Elrond from the comic books. That, that was, was what they were, they were give the, that was what they were going to name him. They were going to name him Elrond. Yeah. No, they were going to name him. Yeah. And, and they were, and that was, that was going to accompany Superman from earth that he was going to be like his guide and his mentor and stuff like that. And then, 
he was actually going to become the restorative suit mm-hmm. that brings it back to life and everything like that. That concept, that concept I actually kind of like. And there was a lot of concepts that they had in this movie that I actually kind of dug. I'm there was a, yeah. That, and I'm nodding my head and say, you know what? I can't say that I'm crazy about it, but I would have liked to see it though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, especially when they have because. The one thing I love about this documentary is that they've got tons of, you know, pre-production drawings and sketches mm-hmm. and all kinds of designs for different things that they were going to do. I mean, they, you were 100% right. Everybody on this project was committed to this project. Mm-hmm. They weren't treating it as a joke. They were serious about this. When you watch, because, you know, back in time, I remember reading about this in like, you know, magazines and, and, and websites and whatnot back in the day when this was in pre-production. And... I remember back then when they were talking about like, you don't reading all that stuff back at the time, you don't realize how much work they had actually gotten done on this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. You know what? You don't do that much work for something that you don't care about. It's just that simple. You don't, (laughs) I mean, just, just the work that they did on the suit, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Nicholas Cage with all the fiber optics and everything like that, you got to do that stuff by hand. Right. And yeah. that's very painstaking work that you got to take your time with. You don't do that stuff for something. Ah, nobody's not going to see this thing. You you do that type of work for a project that you actually do care about. Well, something else that was really interesting about it is that because when that stuff first started coming out with like the, the costume test footage and all that, is that everyone assumed that was going to be Superman throughout the whole movie. Then you find out, no, that's just the restoration suit. That's like you see that for like five minutes in the movie. And it's it really kind of gives you a clue into how much work goes into these movies because they're doing all this work, like, you know, days, weeks, months even of work on this thing that's just going to be used for like five minutes in the movie. And And I do recall that that was part of the reason. And even Tim Burton, he kind of touches on that um, because he says, yeah, he said, okay, a lot of that stuff that got leaked out to the internet, he said, nobody was ever supposed to see that. That was just for us. Right. You know, and like you said, people saw, you know, the pictures of that restoration suit and they just assumed that was going to be the Superman suit for the whole movie. And of course the internet lost his mind. Right. Kevin Smith has a terrific line in this. One of the best lines I've ever heard. When he said that, okay, when it was announced that Michael Keaton was going to play Batman in the 1989 Batman, he said, even though there was no internet, the internet got pissed off. <laughs> yeah. He said, that's how mad people got, you know, and he's absolutely right. People got pissed off. People see one little thing and it never fails to amaze me. And I read stuff, you know, on Facebook and Twitter, how people will see one picture and they will extrapolate an entire conspiracy theory out of this one picture. Well, how, okay, well, where do you get all of this from? Mm-hmm. You know, and basically that's what happened with, um, you know, this movie when that picture of Nicolas Cage came out and everything. But like I said before, Tim <coughs> Burton says, you know, he said, now that's why if I'm doing something, he said, I do it in a bunker three miles down with one camera. He yeah, said, yeah. yeah, he said, because this shit that I just do just for me. And, and he's absolutely right, you know. I'm a firm believer and people talk about, oh, no, no, no. The fans deserve to know everything. Well, no, you don't. No, no. No, you don't. You deserve I'm to sorry. see the finished product, but you don't need to see every single step of the production up until that. Like, you know, when they show that stuff to you, that's a bonus. Bingo. I mean, and I remember when you were talking about this, it reminded me uh, going back to another time Nicolas Cage played a superhero. And the, 
in the run up to Ghost Rider when they were in production mm-hmm. on that movie. And they had this photo floating around of Nicolas Cage in like a skull mask with like this like fiery wig or something like that. Mm-hmm. And everybody flipped out. Mm-hmm. But you know what? That's just, they're just doing tests for colors and that kind of thing to kind of see like what works together. Like all people don't understand how much work goes into these movies and how much this stuff is like used as placeholders for something that's going to be put in digitally after the fact. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the equivalent, you know, okay. It's like, if I was to like print. Okay. it Okay. Let's say I took the current work in progress that I'm doing now mm-hmm. and I printed that. If I printed my first drafts, people would swear I was insane. Mm-hmm. They would because it there's all kinds of digressions and there's shit thrown in there and it's a, a matter of fact, I cut out a good fifty percent of my book in the in the process of writing the second and third draft. Mm-hmm. But if I print now, movies are the same way. If you were just to be presented with the pre-production stuff and the first draft of the screenplay and everything like that, you say, oh, this shit is crazy. This will never work. But then when you see the finished product, you say, oh, wow, that was a pretty damn good movie because it's a process. Yeah. But we're in this thing now where fans have definitely have this entitlement. And this is where we get that thing that you've spoken on so accurately before about these fans demanding that they des- they deserve to see the just the Zack Snyder Justice League mm-hmm. movie. And if they don't get to see it, there will be repercussions. <clears throat> well, see, this is where you get that type of mentality exactly. from fans believing that they deserve to be on every per- on every stage of the creative process. And no, you don't. You're not entitled to that. You should. The only thing you're entitled to, like you said, is the finished product. Yeah, yeah. That you and paid your money for. That you paid your money for. Exactly. Right. You're not entitled to download it for free on, you know, BitTorrent or whatever. But, um, <laughs> but also uh, something else too that you were talking about. That like I was also thinking about because I'm doing drawing work now and you know starting to get into that. And Very well, I might add. Thank you. But you know, one of the things that you know you learn as you start drawing is that the if you look at like um you know you look at a, a pinup that you know like Jim Lee or John Byrne or someone does this awesome pinup of of Batman or Superman or whoever, right? <clears throat> they don't draw that finished version, right? They they do there are building blocks that build up to it. You start off with a stick figure really. Yeah. And you you build up, you add more elements to it because you get the structure right and then you add other stuff. Like that all that stuff you see in the finished piece, that's just the final layer of it. Yeah. <clears throat> It's just like a house, right? You build a house, it you got a framework for it, and then you put the you put the walls up, you put the wallpaper, you put all the furnishings on. But if you just if you went to a construction site and you see a house being built, you wouldn't look, oh, that house is a piece of shit. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Because you can't tell what the house is gonna look like just from the framework. Right. Yeah. You can't tell. You know, you don't yeah. bu- you, you don't build a house, you build a house from the foundation up. You don't build a roof first. And on, yeah. on, one, on one hand, um, I do think it's kind of good that we do get to see these types of things where people, because one of the things that really annoys me when these types of pictures come out is that they're always presented without context, right? No one explains to people that this is just a first step in the process, right? Mm-hmm. And people don't really understand how how different, how much of an impact it makes, like the way you film something, the the type of lighting you use, the the type of lens you use, all this type, the type of film you're using for all this type of stuff, this all is hugely influential, even before you get to post-production stuff with CGI and all that kind of thing. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so yeah, and I think one of the things this movie does a really good job of kind of stripping away a lot of that mystique, and it shows you how much work really goes into these movies. And you know, like I said earlier, nobody does this type of work on a movie that they don't believe in. And mm-hmm. yeah, as as wacky as he is. I do believe sincerely that John Peters did believe in this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> on whatever level in John Peters universe, but he did believe in this movie and everybody, you know, and everybody else that worked in, you know, that worked on this. I mean, uh, because uh, at one point they're talking about, you know, where they call up people that they don't think that they're going to get to work on it. And they say, yeah, they come and they're doing pre-production sketches and and they're designing creatures and spaceships and everything like that. And I'm saying, wow, you know, the, because of course it's Superman, mm-hmm. and Superman has that universal <clears throat> to everybody. You know, I mean, I don't know the first thing about writing a comic book, but if DC Comics called me tomorrow and said, "Dark, we want you to write Superman," yeah, I'd learn how to write a comic mm-hmm. book in twenty minutes flat, just mm-hmm. just to write Superman. So this, ver- and yeah, and I know when you when you hear Nicolas Cage as Superman, your first thought is. But you know what? You watch this documentary and you kind of halfway come to say, well, you know what? Yeah. You know what? I kind of would have liked to see that. You well, know, it's because a lot of that, the when you think of Nicolas Cage as Superman, like a lot of people, there's this the image of him from the costume test where he's got the long hair. <clears throat> but you don't see like the and they show him in here, these stills later on of Cage with short hair and he's wearing like a yeah. this like pads. It, it, it looks really good. It looks really faithful to the. The classic costume. It does. He looks really. I I have to admit, I'm looking at. It, but I even liked him with the long hair. I like mm-hmm. him with the long hair. But yeah, they, but they do show him later <laughs> on where he's got like short hair and everything like that. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, you know something. And again, yeah, you know what? I'd have paid money to see this. We know something else. It off. <clears throat> something else people forget at the time is that in the '90s, Superman had long hair. Yeah, yeah, he had the mullet. He had the mullet, yeah, the super mullet he had after the death of Superman. So, so yeah, he did have the long hair back then at the time. So it's not that out of the realm of possibility. Now, one thing that they kept coming back to it, back to in this movie, and we even heard it that uh, a lot of people complained about that in uh, the Brandon Ralph Superman movie, whereas that John Peters was apparently obsessed with having Superman hit stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. That was this thing, you know. And we hear other people say that too. Yeah, well, you know, the fans always, well, Superman never hits anything. You know, he never, as of, that's the only thing that Superman is supposed to do is just hit stuff, you know. Right. I mean, I I kind of understand. Okay, what people are really saying was that <clears throat> they want to see him use his superpowers mm-hmm. in other ways rather than, you know, saving people or preventing natural disasters. Mm-hmm. But see, here's the thing. That's what Superman does. Yes. Yeah. Superman is the only superhero, as far as I know, he puts on his costume and he doesn't fly around looking for crime to stop. He flies around the world looking for natural disasters to stop. If there's a flood on the other side of the world, he goes to stop that. If there's a famine over here, he flies in food. If there's a tsunami over here, there's an earthquake. That's what Superman does. You know, his whole thing is not primarily fighting supervillains. Yeah, he does that. Mm-hmm. But that's not the primary motivation for Superman, which is what I think a lot of people that make a Superman movie, you know, that escapes them. 
I, I think you're absolutely right. Like the whole the whole thing about Superman is he's there to help people. He's there to save people. He's not there yeah. to <clears throat> to you know fly through buildings or whatever. He's there to he's there to to help the other people. That's what he's. That's one of the things that the the Richard Donner movie did such a great job of capturing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Batman. Batman. His thing is stopping crime. Right. That's what he does. See, he puts on his costume. He goes out. <laughs> To look for criminals and crime. Right, yeah. That's what Stop he does. Fighting crime by beating people up. Right. But that's not what Superman does. You know, he doesn't and do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. If he's flying back from, you know, stopping the famine in Bangladesh, if he hears that there's a bank robbery going on, yeah, he'll fly down, he'll stop it. Mm. But he's not going to go out of his way to look for bank robberies to stop. Right. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. That's, that's not what he does. And, that, and that's what the both the Richard Donner movie and also the the Superman Returns did to a certain extent as well. They really did a good job of capturing that Superman is out here to save people, right? Right. Like he's got that choice he has to make in uh, Superman Returns. Do I go out to stop Lex Luthor or do I go save the people who are, who are in danger right now in Metropolis? And he goes and he saves the people in Metropolis. Bing. Yeah, exactly. Which is the choice that Superman will always make. Yeah. It will always be to help the people first. You know, Lex Luthor, listen, he can find Lex Luthor later on. That's not yeah. a problem. He can right. find him anytime he wants him. Right. You know, but it's the people that need his help right now. There's something else that happened in this documentary, which I thought was really interesting. When they're talking to, um, I think it was uh, Wesley Strick was his name, who um, was one of the screenwriters on Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. And and it was, it, and this kind of shows you the mentality they had where because kevin smith even mentioned this why don't you go to the comic book guys and ask them they they know how to do superman they're doing superman really well so why don't you ask them to do it and they're like well no and this kind of shows you how much hollywood has changed the mentality has changed in the in the year since where they said oh no those are comic book guys we don't we don't we don't don't talk to the comic book guys we talk to the movie guys and (laughs) and it's so funny that now you have and it, it, it now you have the all this crossover between the the comic book and the movie guys, right? So you got like you know Josh Whedon, he finishes Buffy and Angel, and then he goes and he writes um, he writes X Men, and then he goes and he directs the Avengers, and then um, Kevin Smith, you know, he directs a bunch of these movies, and then he ends up right he writes Superman movie, and then he goes and he writes Green Arrow and Daredevil, and and there's and um, uh, Jeff Johns, right? Prime example, start off in comic book writing, and then he ends up doing. Um, executive producing a lot of these DC movie projects and stuff. So, right. And, and it's just really funny how much things have changed since then. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, like I said, because back then they didn't believe that comic book people could be trusted with movies. They said, well, no, well they, well, they don't know anything about movies. Well, I think part you know, of that is because they gave it, they had, they had Frank Miller write Robocop two and three. Well, <laughs> Oh boy. That's a whole nother episode right there. Um, uh, but yeah, that's like, I mean, you know, um, I don't know. There, I think, is a certain a certain arrogance that goes along with movie making that mm. I think is necessary for the, the problem. Because, listen, let's face it, and even with writing, with writing, let's face it, there's a certain amount of arrogance that goes along with what we do mm-hmm. because we think that we can write something that's good enough that people will pay money to read. Right, you know, yeah. You know, so it's the same thing with movie making. They're saying, okay, well, you know what? Yeah, I know how to do this better than anybody else. You know, even though this is a character from the comic books, I know how to make a movie out of it. You know, 
better than the people that you know, so it's that certain type of arrogance that's that and we see with John Peters because he's got a certain arrogance about the because he gets Superman. Well, Superman, he's from the streets. Mm-hmm. When I heard that in the movie, I bust out laughing. Mm-hmm. I said, Man, he so does not get this. <laughs> he so does not. but he but he's convinced. He he's convinced in his mind he knows Superman. Well, see, that's the and kind of going on along with what you're saying is you need that kind of arrogance, not only to 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 push people to get get stuff done, right? Because yeah. if you're someone who doesn't who's not fully committed, who's not strong enough to back up that conviction, you're not going to be able to push anyone else to go along with you. And you look at John Peters and you imagine him like in a negotiating room over um over the budget for the movie or pitching a project or something like that's a guy who's going to sell you on yeah, on whatever he's whatever he wants to make. Yeah, and and if and if you don't write him the check, you you might be afraid he's going to throw you out the window. Well, that's what he says at one point mm-hmm. that you know that the guy that I mean you know was going to pull the plug on it, and he said he told the guy he was going to throw him out the window. If yeah. it, and looking at John Peters, you know, and from the stories I've heard about him too, I have no doubt that he was fully capable of throwing somebody oh, out yeah. the window. Yeah, if he felt like it. But it, you know, and, and this. Watching this documentary is a prime example of something that I say quite frequently in that when people talk about, oh, that was a terrible movie and that was a bad movie. I say, yeah, but you know something? You got to look at it this way. Considering how many people are involved in the making of a movie, actually, it's a miracle we get as many good movies as we do. Yeah. Because everybody, you know, okay, everybody that's in this movie we see they have their own idea of what Superman is and what he should be and what he should look like. and this, But they're all still coming together to try to make a cohesive vision. To me, that's one of the most amazing things about movie making is that we get as many good movies as we do with so many people with all these diverse thoughts and yeah. ideas and concepts. And it's the director that has to pull all of this together and say, OK, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And these yeah. people go along with it. And they say, okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> it really is. You're right. And it's, it's so interesting to like, just kind of like peel through the layers and like get this look behind the scenes at just how much stuff goes into it. Cause, and you look at some of these designs and on the one hand, you know, when you hear they're hiring people who, who don't know Superman, who who've never had any exposure to Superman. And one, on the one hand, you think, well, that's stupid. Why would they do that? But then you look at some of these production designs and some of these ideas, some of these artists have, and you're like, well, you know what? I kind of see why they wanted to go with someone who's not so influenced by the comics. Cause there's some really yeah. unique takes on that. And if nothing else, this movie would have been amazing to watch, to watch visually, just from a visual visually, perspective. Oh, visually it would have been <clears throat> eye popping. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, you make an excellent point right there because um, sometimes yeah, you hire somebody from the comic books and they just may be too close to the material mm-hmm. and they can't see it any other way except this way, and you need somebody like you no know, like remember we were talking a couple of weeks ago and I was saying that well instead of the word adaptation, we should start saying translation. Right. We're talking about taking something from one medium to another. Okay, when you take Superman from the comic books and translate him into visual medium, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a different animal altogether. Right. Certain needs that have to be served and met that you can't do in comic book and vice versa. Because there's Mm -hmm. certain things you can do in the comic book with Superman you can't do in live action. Yeah. And that's okay. 
that's okay. Even they had Superman on radio. Now, Superman really shouldn't work on radio, but your imagination fills in the gap. Your right. mind provides the special effects. Mm-hmm. So now you're seeing the best Superman that you've ever seen because you're provide. But it, and all of the all of those three mediums, comic book, <clears throat> radio, and movies, are all valid interpretations of Superman. There mm-hmm. is no one right way to do Superman. Mm-hmm. There can't be. I mean, the character has lasted for eighty years because he's changed. So that's what I'm saying. Looking at this documentary, yeah, okay, Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it would have been a weird shit movie. It would have been bad shit insane. But you know what? I got the feeling that it would have been a lot of fun to see. If nothing yeah. else, you know. And, and visually, like you said, visually it would have been a knockout. Because I, I I was going back and I was rewinding and I was freezing the frame of some mm. of the production designs and, you know, the artwork and everything like that. And some of that stuff would have looked fantastic on film. Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's especially some of the stuff that really stands on my mind, like the, the whole idea of, you know, using, um, you know, cause John Peters was so obsessed with the spider idea. She's using <laughs> the idea of like, you know, having Brainiac's body just be like these giant spider legs under a cloak. Like that's, yeah. Yeah. That would have been freaky and it would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, <laughs> what is it with him and spider? You know, I don't but, know. <laughs> but yeah, that would have been a great visual where he has a cloak and, and they said it would have been one part mm-hmm. where he takes it back and all he is just spider legs up underneath. Yeah, and you imagine that, especially when they were talking about Christopher Walken playing Brain. You imagine Christopher Walken's head just on this giant robot spider body. That, oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see that. Yeah. and Perfect choice for Brainiac, actually, mm-hmm. Christopher Walken. And, yeah, it's just, it's such a, and it, it is weird to see Tim Burton and, like, his take on Superman. And you realize that he was really trying to do it right. Like John Peters, I think he was just, he had his idea of Superman and he was so convinced that this is the one, but Tim Burton is a little bit different. And I think like he was trying to try and figure out Superman. Okay. Here's the thing about Tim Burton. You look at his earlier movies, right? You look at most of his earlier movies and what is actually about is, about, and I didn't figure this out until I saw Edward Scissorhands. And Edward Scissorhands is a metaphor for creativity mm-hmm. because the one thing that he has, <clears throat> most creative thing about him that he has is those razor blades mm-hmm. that he uses, but it separates him from other people because he can't touch them because he'll cut them to death. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you look back at most of Tim Burton's stuff, that's what I mean, Batman and stuff like that is whatever people are best at, that's what separates them from mm-hmm. humanity. Yeah. That's kind of a hard concept to apply to Superman because he puts what he's best at in the service of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, so that so yeah, Tim Burton is having a hard time figuring out Superman because his thing is all about characters. His characters are on the outside. Mm-hmm. And Superman, Superman, and I know they say that a lot in this movie. Well, yeah, Superman's an outsider. He, well, no, he's not. He was raised on a Kansas farm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not an outsider. He doesn't feel, Superman doesn't feel like an outsider. He feels like he's a part of society, you know, a part of, because he was raised as part of society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's like, a, I think there is a way to do Superman that he is, that you are able to get that outsider feel with him and still have him be part of society. 
So I think that really comes in the Clark Kent identity, right? Well, because yeah. Clark Kent has to purposely put on an act, right? He can't really be himself in that way because he has to put on this act to, to throw people off the set that he's Superman. Right. Because I remember reading somewhere, or you might even said it to me, I don't know, where somebody said, um, you know, Superman is actually three personalities. He's not two. Right. There's Superman, you know, the superhero. There's the real Clark Kent, mm -hmm. who was raised up on the farm board. And then there's the Clark Kent in Metropolis, the one who's pretending. Right. To yeah, be, yeah. But that's not really Clark Kent. Like, like okay, like when he goes back to visit his, um, you know, his uh, folks, mm -hmm. Mom, Clark Kent, he doesn't wear the glasses. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. no reason for him to do that because, okay, now he's really being himself. That's the real Clark Kent. Yeah. And he's got the overalls on and he's carrying the tractor and stuff like that. That's who he really is. Mm -hmm. But even the Clark Kent that's in Metropolis, that's another identity. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one he's manufactured to live among human beings. That Yeah. I think I think I was the one who did say that to you because that's something yeah. I've always felt. Um, and, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't really grasp about Superman. And I think you'd get a lot better stories about him if you did, if you had people more, you know, look closer at that kind of dichotomy. Right. Yeah. Cause I, uh, cause I'm the, to me, I've always thought Batman was more of an outsider than Superman. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like it always kind of surprised me when people say that Superman's unrelatable, but Batman is because Batman has no powers, but you know, but Superman, I think, is a much more relatable character because, you know, he's got to put on a mask to kind of hide who he is. He's got to try to, you know, put on airs around other people to kind of fit in. He's got to, he, you know, he grew up in a, you know, middle class household, basically. You know, he, he lives in society. He lives in an apartment in New York City. He doesn't he's not he's not a billionaire who grew up without parents living in the outskirts of town. And then travel and didn't go to college, but ended up traveling the world to learn martial arts. Like, I don't know. I don't understand how people think that's more relatable just because he doesn't have superpowers. Yeah. And to put it on, uh, and to, okay. To put it on a personal note, see, I can relate to Superman more because as Clark Kent, okay, he's got to, you know, pretend he's somebody else to, you know, deal with, you know, society and everything mm -hmm. like that. Okay. Growing up, you know, when I went into situations, certain situations involving white people, mm -hmm. there was a certain way I had to act. There was a certain way I had to speak. There was a certain way I had to act. There was, a, I couldn't be myself. I had to act in a certain way because I knew that I was dealing with certain types of people. Right. And, and you know, black kids in the era that I grew up in, we were taught this very early on in life that, okay, well, when you go out, into white society, this is how you act. Mm -hmm. This is what you do and this is what you say. If you want to come back home, <laughs> well, this is what you better do. So that's why I think I relate to Superman more because he kind of does the same thing. He says, yeah. when I go among humans, I have to act this way. I have to talk this way. I have to be this way so they don't suspect who I really am. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. So to me, that's why Superman always worked for, and you're absolutely right. I got Superman more than I like Batman, but yeah, Batman is a privileged white kid, you know, who got pissed off because the parents was killed and he just said, well, I'm going to take revenge on the whole world because mm -hmm. <laughs> my parents got killed. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas Superman, he, you know, he says, oh, you know what? 
I want to do good for people. I want to help people. Even the people, even the bad people, they deserve to be helped too. It's a very positive message that Superman has. And I don't understand why people don't embrace it, but I hear that all. Well, he's a boy scout. He's unrealistic. And he's just, I said, really? You can't relate to that worldview that, well, I just want to help people and do good. Well, I mean, like that's the entire you know, rescue and medical professions, right? I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, you could say, well, people become doctors because they want to make, but that's like most, you talk to most people who become doctors. Most of them don't do it because they want to make money. Most of them do it because they sincerely want to help people. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, the money is good mm -hmm. and they're not going to lie to you about it, you know, but yeah, that's why most of them, nurses, mm -hmm. every nurse I've ever talked to, they got into a form of, they got into because they wanted to help people. Yeah, it's just that simple. And they go and they go through a lot of time, expense, and sacrifice mm -hmm. to do these jobs. That's why when they said that in this country, you know, when they said, "Okay, well, the first ones that's going to get, you know, the vaccine is the medical workers," I said, "Well, duh." Yeah, <laughs> of course they just of course <clears throat> they should be the first ones to get it. The doctors and the nurses. Who's going to take care of us if they're not well? Yeah, yeah. Take care of them first. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, right. but but Superman, yeah, he's he's kind of like the ultimate doctor for the world, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll just like, you know, people who go into like these these, um, you know, search and rescue. Right. You, you, I mean, search and rescue. It it doesn't. I'm not I don't know how much it pays. Probably pays OK, but I guess it doesn't pay as well as like a doctor. Certainly doesn't pay as well as like a stockbroker or something like that. But, you know, people do it because they do want to help people. OK. Let me tell you something. You know one thing that pisses me off? One thing pisses me off whenever they put out a warning. Okay, well, there's going to be a flood, so mm -hmm. you have to evacuate this area, and we need you to evacuate now. You're always going to have that one fly. You're always going to have that one bee that would rather sting than make honey. He's, oh, not, yeah, leaving yeah. His, he's not leaving his house. He's mm -hmm. the, he was born in this house. He's going to die in this house. Okay, flood comes. He's running to the roof. Now he's calling for help. Mm-hmm. One brave soul goes out there and gets him. And you know something? God bless that one brave soul because if you left it up to me, your ass would drown. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but no. And I mean, you have people at the risk of their own life. They will do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know something? That's like Superman. That's To me, that's what Superman does. Yeah. So when they call these people heroes and because they risk their own lives or people that go get stuck up on a mountain, and somebody goes and rescues them, mm -hmm. God bless them. Because if you left it up to me, next to Ken, <laughs> okay, I'll tell him. Later. <laughs> Sorry, that's just me. What can I tell you? But yeah, it, it, but it is so amazing that you get all these people who just, for some reason, they're not able to grasp that idea of like, well, what do you mean he just wants to help people? And they, yeah. don't, understand, they don't understand it. I just like... I, I don't understand someone who can't grasp that possibility. So whenever someone says like Superman's not realistic in a modern sense, I, I just don't, I don't understand it. And you know what I tell people when they say, well, uh, I don't like Superman because I can never, I could be like Batman. Oh, you could, you have a couple of billion dollars and mm -hmm. you have 10 years to go study martial arts around the world and learn every scientific I mean, you know, type of discipline. I said, but there is a way you can be like Superman. Mm -hmm. And they said, really? How can I do that? I said, just do one thing a day for somebody 
who will never know what you did and have no way of, of repaying you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just do that. And they said, that's all. They said, that's all you got to do. Yeah. So um, any other things that you want to touch on with uh, this documentary? Um, only that, it, it again, is remarkably comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about going from A to Z, there is, uh, as a matter of fact, this was the second time I've seen this because I've seen this before, but I, but well, I watched, I watched it two and a half times, really. I watched two and a half times, but there were things that I saw here either I didn't remember from the first time I saw it, or you know, I just wasn't paying attention, but there mm-hmm. was new stuff in here. Um, I love the fact that they have tons of concept art. Yeah, that you can look at. I mean, this is wonderful just to look at. You can see all the designs of the various suits, uh, Superman suits of Metropolis, of uh, you know, oh, Krypton. I love the when the, they have a whole section where they go into how they was going to develop Krypton, and at one point, Krypton was going to be like these shifting tectonic plates. Oh, yeah, connected, that was a really cool idea. Yeah, connected <laughs> with like this HR. Giger like type of biomechanical mm-hmm. stuff and everything like that. I, I, that freaked me out right there. I said, man, I would have loved to see that on screen. And um, as I said earlier, I love documentaries that we talk to the actual people. You yeah. know, let the people sit down with the people and let them tell me what happened, and then I can make up my mind for myself. Mm-hmm. Like now, okay, when <laughs> like when you talk about early on when we were talking about. Uh, Kevin Smith and John Peters, and they cut back and forth. Here's the thing: I don't think either one of them are lying. Mm-hmm. I don't. I just think that they. And a lot of time has passed by. I think they just remember it differently. Mm-hmm. There's one or two times I think John Peters was full of shit, though. Yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah, yeah. But most of the time, I think I think he was full of shit about the spiders when mm-hmm. he said, "No, nah, I don't remember that." <laughs> no, no. I've heard too much from other people that say, "Yeah, yeah, it was John wanted the spiders." <laughs> But uh, I did love that when they when he's doing the Kevin Smith is doing the he says, you know, after I met with John Peters, you know, Warner Brothers comes to me and they say, you know, they said they like they like you. He likes you. He wants to move forward with you. Did he mention the spider? (laughs) He did. He mentioned the spider. He told you every fucking day with the damn spider. (laughs) 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 So there's some some days. Yeah. John Peters is bullshit. But for the most part, I think he's telling the truth. And it's. and like it's just so much fun hearing their versions of it. Mm-hmm. I would love to just put the just put the two of them in put put the two of them in a room together or on a stage and just give them an hour and a half just to talk about <laughs> this movie and let them talk about it. That would be comedy gold, I mm-hmm. gotta feel it. Comedy gold. And it it's it's a really good look at just like all the all the effort that goes into a movie before any cameras start rolling. And oh. just like how much effort they put into the smallest bit of detail. And it's, it really is amazing when you think about it. And, you know, I mean, all this effort into just like for a five minute segment, they spend months of work on this suit to make sure it lights the right way. And then it works the way they want it to just for like a five minute segment. It's unbelievable. It's, it's really stunning. And, you know, being able to hear these people talk about their craft and their work and seeing all the concept designs. And it really gives you a better sense of just, how much effort. So whenever people talk about, you know, bad about superhero movies and just, you know, I look at something like this and just like all the effort they're putting into this, all the work they're doing, all the creative energy. And it's just like, you know what? I don't see how you can say that these, 
that these movies shouldn't exist. Like, you know, all these people are, you know, doing this amazing work. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible work. I, I think of this, I think of this and I think of uh, another documentary I saw a couple of months ago, it was on Amazon prime uh, that went into the, the pre-production work for uh, Dune. Mm-hmm. Jodorowsky. Oh, I've heard about this one. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. You got to see that. This is like the best movie that was never made. Mm-hmm. Seriously. And, and what's even more fascinating is that when you see how many other movies such as Flash Gordon and Star Wars mm-hmm. actually cannibalize stuff f- from, you know, that movie. Oh, okay. And they took, yeah, they go into a whole section where it's like just about every science fiction movie that came after that, you know, they, you know, you had these people that was cherry picking pieces from the, because Jodorowsky has like this huge, massive book of all of the pre-production stuff and storyboards and everything like that. And all directors, you know, were coming in, they were looking in this book and then they would go off and make their own movie. And, and Jodorowsky would say, wait a minute, I know that spaceship design that, that came from, you know, Dune, you know, and it, it's amazing. So, yeah. I'm going to have to check that out because I saw that on Amazon prime. Um, yeah, yeah, that's where I saw it. Like I said, so so maybe like about like two months ago, mm-hmm. blew me away. Great, do- great documentary, just as good as this one. Okay, I'll have to. I think I'm gonna, you got me something I got to watch today then. Okay, cool. <clears throat> okay, um, so any final thoughts about Death of Superman Lives? Only that if you have not seen this movie, I strongly urge you. I don't know where you're gonna find it at. <laughs> Well, actually, so we did some I did some searching and uh, I'll put this link on the website, but it's the death of Superman lives. What happened dot And they've got um, they got a whole bunch of diff- different purchase options like you could rent it. You could just rent the movie itself for like two bucks. But they've also got like, you know, a thirty dollar super pack that has like over eight hours of extra content. Um, and it's got like extended interviews with like John Peters and, um, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura. Um, uh, they have the, the premiere with uh, Kevin Smith and a Q and a afterwards, mm. um, you know, comic artists, writers, and fans talk Superman. Like, you know, I think I might actually have to buy this, this set cause there's a lot of stuff that looks really interesting in it. Mm, okay. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a great documentary and they, and it was, you know, it was part partly crowdfunded too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you watch it, you will see at the end. And apparently, they they list everybody that contributed mm-hmm. to this movie. And it's like about like two. It's like a good two or three minutes of names that are just scrolling by people that contribute to the Kickstarter fund for it. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it gives hope for people that want to do uh, you know, any movies of this type or any movies at all, really, because a lot of movies you have now, even Spike Lee, mm-hmm. he he financed one of his movies. You know, I think it was The Sweet Blood of Jesus. I'm not sure I have to look it up. But I believe that, yeah, that that was funded by Kickstarter. Well, also, you know, um, the Veronica was, Mars movie, too, that was also um, partly by Kickstarter as well, I think. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so check it out. Uh, you can find it. Uh, we'll put that link on the website. You can find that at SuperheroCinephiles.com. Um, and, yeah, so that does it for our conversation about The Death of Superman Lives, which means uh, this is my pick. That means uh, next we're going to go with you. So uh, what should we talk about next time? Well, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it, and I thought, of, well, what could I do something nice for Perry for Christmas? 
So what I did was that I went back over all of the episodes that we've done, and we've done quite a few. Mm-hmm. And I noticed something. I noticed that around this time last year, we had uh, spoken about Deadpool. Yes. But we have not yet talked about Deadpool 2. Oh, okay. So for you, for your Christmas <laughs> present, I propose that next time we get together, we do indeed talk about Deadpool 2. Okay, awesome. Now, um, about Deadpool 2, there's um, there's actually two versions of it. So oh, okay. I want you to try to see if you can find the, I think it's called the Super Duper Cut. Okay. Yeah, it's called Deadpool 2, the Super Duper Cut. Because I think that's actually the... The it's a longer version, and I think that's actually the, a better version of the movie. Okay, I'm sure so, I can find it on Amazon Prime or you know mm-hmm. somewhere else. I, I'll find it. Don't worry about it. I'll okay, cool. It. All right, so I'm, okay, I'm so excited the super about this. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So okay. join us. Join us next week. We'll talk about Deadpool two, the super duper cut. Um, and yeah, that does it for us for now. Head on over to uh, Facebook, superhero cinephiles. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Super Cinema Pod. And the website is SuperheroCinephiles.com. For those of you who are listening on the podcast feed, we're on YouTube as well. You can find the link for that also at SuperheroCinephiles.com. You can, you know, watch our faces as we talk about this if you don't want to just hear us. <laughs> and if you're afraid to look at our faces, then you can just listen to the podcast feed. So you have to yeah, you don't have, yeah, you don't have <laughs> trust me, you don't have to look at us if you don't want to. <laughs> All right, uh, but that does it for now. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Okay. Take care. God bless. You have been listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Super Cinema Pod. Join our Facebook group by searching for Superhero Cinephiles, where you can interact with us and other superhero fans. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a regular supporter at Patreon or make a one-time donation through PayPal, both of which can be found at our website, SuperheroCinephiles.com. If you buy or rent any movies through the Amazon links at our site, it helps support the show. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.